Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash CME. T-O-G-O, to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and standards at the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products devices, or services may be discussed in the context at the CME activity. The planners and speakers for this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case, and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases. Hi, I'm Heather Betridge, Associate Vice President of Practice Management Services at the Texas Medical Association, and this is Hot Topics, TMA's newest monthly podcast series with one of our favorite attorneys, Amanda Hill. Running a medical practice brings challenges for which medical school probably didn't adequately prepare you. While we can't rewind the clock and take you back to medical school or your residency or fellowship program and build in all the need-to-know business of medicine courses into your training, TMA can introduce you to content experts like Amanda Hill. Amanda is a speaker, author, and well-known healthcare attorney who serves physicians and practices all throughout the state. Welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be here. Today, we are finishing our talk on sticky human resource issues. In our last episode, we talked about the importance of being consistent with our policies and having an employee handbook. Today, let's talk about some of the frequently asked questions we get from our physicians. The first has to do with unused sick and vacation time. So, Amanda, are employers in Texas required to pay out earned but unused time when a person ends their employment? So, Heather, this isn't really driven by statute. This is a policy question. So you need to have a firmly established policy that talks about what happens to PTO when a person quits or is terminated from the job. 
If not, you really are welcoming a fight and you better do it the same, you know, with all the employees so it doesn't look discriminatory. You don't really want to pay it out for one person and not the other. It needs to be consistent across the board for everyone in those circumstances. And if you do have a policy to pay out your PTO, you know, you better do it. And I just had this interesting case come up. I do a lot of mergers and acquisitions with practices that join or buy another practice or sell. And, you know, there's all these moving parts to clinical practices. And there was a requirement in the asset purchase agreement that said, you're not going to pay out any benefits. Like on day one, we're going to take over your practice. And that's what it is. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. You have a, you need a, your policy dictates whether you pay out benefits. You can't just override that with this, you know, we're, asset purchase agreement that the employees knew nothing about. So go back and look at your policies on do you pay out PTO or not? And that should be something that every employer should be able to address. Do you pay out PTO when they leave or do you not? Set a policy on it, be consistent and do it the same every time. Then communicate that to your employees so they know, right? And sometimes, you know, it's okay that you don't. It's just that you can't make an exception for people that you like. Yeah, that this this obviously can get quite sticky when letting staff go. So do you have any recommendations for, you know, when you're terminating a staff member? Yeah, it is really emotional, right? When you fire someone, I, I mean, I can imagine how hard that is to be, you know, brought into a meeting at noon on a Friday. That's when one of my employers used to always terminate employees was noon on Friday. So if you got that noon slot, uh oh, you know, you better get your box ready. But it's humiliating, you know, and it's hard to hear. It's, you know, it's time for you to leave this job. It's not working out. Obviously, it depends on if you're dealing with this, you know, staff member that is, you know, does not have a contract. And of course, in Texas, we're an at-will state and you can terminate them at any time for any reason, as long as it's not discriminatory. Or if you're dealing with a provider or a, you know, advanced practice provider that has a contract and those have very different rules because then you need to go and follow the contract on, you know, are you going to provide them 90 days notice and what is triggered, you know, for that termination. So two very different styles, depending on if it's at will or if it's a contract employee. Um, But in either event, you still need to understand that, you know, it is a sticky and emotional situation. So the more that you can do to try to minimize the emotion, the better. Um, A lot of times with physicians, there is a minimum notice of maybe 60, 90 days, depending on the contract and how it's drafted, to give them notice when they leave. And a lot of doctors will call and say, well, this person's not working out. I don't really think they're a very good doctor or they made some clinical decisions that I don't agree with. Should I fire them for cause? Okay. My instinct is to always say it is so much easier to terminate one of your doctors or your, you know, AP, you know, APPs, advanced practice providers without cause, because it's not going to welcome a huge fight. You know, think about a scared dog that's cornered, you know, they're always going to snarl. Anytime you put someone back into a corner and say, we're firing you for a reason, and we might even have to report you to the National Practitioner's Data Bank, you're welcoming a fight. You know, I don't care what their financial position is. They're going to hire an attorney. They're going to fight for their career and for their integrity. And if you don't have to welcome that fight, don't. You know, if you can just say, you know what, it's not working out. You know, it's not you, it's me, whatever you need to say. And here's your 60 or 90 days notice, whatever in the contract. That's a lot easier, you know, and a lot less emotional to say, you know, sometimes these things just don't work and we're just not a good fit. 
And I think it's best for you to find a job that's probably better aligned with you. That is a lot better scenario than to say, you stink. You're a terrible provider. You need to go out and be a better doctor. And here's your notice for cause. And we're going to go out and file a complaint against you. And that's a really tough situation for both the employer and the employee. So if you're going to fire someone, however, for any kind of cause reasons, it's really important to document. And I don't care who it is, if it's an MA, if it's a staff, you know, manager, if it's a doctor, document, document, document. And I know that, you know, HR people are always saying that, but man, I'm aligned. If you have things that, you know, over and over, and this one staff member is coming in late. Yes, you can fire them. It's an at-will state, but don't take that to your head and think, I don't have to write anything down. I can just fire anybody at any reason. I just get out my gun and just start, I'm going to fire everybody. I think the really smart thing to do is to say, no, we have it documented that you have come in late four times in the last month. You've been warned about coming in late. You kept coming in late. We have to have our staff here on time. It has nothing to do with your race or the fact that you're a female or a male or, you know, any of that. It's not a discriminatory reason, but we have clearly documented reasons why it's not working out. That always protects a practice better. And you certainly want to make sure that you can say those non-discriminatory reasons, because even though it's an at-will state, you still have to show that you're not discriminating. And it's really curious, you know, if every employee gets to just lounge in between 7.30 and 7.45, and yet you're holding this one Hispanic employee to a different standard, that starts to look really odd and curious, and you need to prove that that's not the case. So yes, firing people, it's sticky, Heather, it's emotional. And to try to really focus on documenting, letting people go easily and cleanly without a lot of chit chat or discussion. This is not the time to vent every problem. And it's not always the time to go into every sort of detail about why you can't stand that person. Sometimes you just say it's not working out and you let them go with some dignity. Yes, good advice. Now, what happens when a workplace issue, something happens and someone needs to be disciplined, but they aren't fired. So they stay in the clinic. Is retaliation something to worry about these days? You know, honestly, Heather, retaliation is what I worry about the most. Um, I don't really think every day of my life, I see people discriminating against races or ethnicities or sexual orientation. I what I see more is retaliation. And that is its own separate cause of action under the law. I don't think people quite realize how easy it is to violate that because it's human nature. I mean, think about it. If you're the physician and someone raises a complaint of harassment or even workplace inappropriate behavior in another way, like billing or coding, or that you did something terrible, how do you treat that person the same? You know, if they went and complained about you to HR and you feel they, you know, they maligned your reputation in that office and you feel like I'm a physician and I take my job seriously. And here's this hotshot nurse who go runs to HR about me and said, I said things that they took out of context, makes me look bad. You know, you're not going to walk in the door and bring her donuts. You're going to be upset with this nurse. You're going to say, I don't want to work with her, put her somewhere else. You know, maybe you should fire her. She comes in, you know, going to be sitting there with your stopwatch, making sure that she's in there on time every day. This is where retaliation claims are born because, you know, you start to treat the person that made the complaint differently and even maybe conduct harsher reviews or treat them, you know, with a different intention because you're upset that they made a complaint. 
So it's really important when you have to deal with the workplace issue, which we do because we all are complicated humans and we all work together and have to play in the sandbox, that you talk to the staff that is you know, the subject of the investigation and say, look, this complaint was made, we investigated it, we you know, determined that maybe nothing happened or we resolved the problem, and then we all need to move on. But you cannot treat that person any differently because they made that complaint. Very important for you to talk this through with both sides and even talk to the person who made the complaint and say, this is a safe place. Thank you for bringing this up. We have addressed the issue and we're not going to be treating you differently. And if someone does treat you differently, you need to come back and tell us. So how do you prevent retaliation or at least lessen the likelihood of it happening? Well, I think a lot of it is training. Um, and, you know, training is not magic, but it's certainly in this case, very helpful. You know, if you talk to your staff and say, look, you need to understand from a 30,000 foot view what we're trying to accomplish with our compliance plan. We want people to make reports. We want to know if something terrible is going on. And not everyone, you know, that launches a complaint will end up in some investigation that ends up in someone being fired. It could just be, hey, this was making me feel really uncomfortable. And the other person might not even know, you know, for example, I had a dermatologist once that would, um, you know, talk about people's skin. I mean, he was a dermatologist, right? All he thinks about is skin. And a lot of times the staff in the office, he would he was a toucher, you know, he'd like to touch their skin and he's just so used to skin. It didn't see any problem with that. And the staff came forward and said, you know, it's making us uncomfortable that he touches us on the arm or he seems like he's like obsessed with touching our skin. And the doctor was like, I am so sorry. I had no idea. I did not realize that I was even doing that and I didn't mean it and I will stop. And it was fine. And we all moved on, but that is the kind of environment you want to foster. You want employees to come forward and say, Hey, this is making me feel uncomfortable. Or conversely, if they're noticing that they see some billing irregularities, or if they think that something is happening that is questionable, you want that to be brought forward. Um, Like, for example, let's say that you have a doctor who has a nurse practitioner. Often mid-levels work with doctors and the advanced practice provider is billing out under the doctor's name. And a nurse or some staff member says, that's not right. That doctor's not doing the care. That nurse practitioner cannot bill under the doctor's name. That is not okay under the billing rules. And they go to compliance or HR or whoever and make this big complaint because they don't like that doctor and they think he's a jerk or who knows what motivation. And the practice looks into it and they say, okay, well, it is incident to billing and maybe the rules were followed. And there are instances where a nurse practitioner can bill out under the doctor's name. And that's not inappropriate as long as the rules are followed correctly under Medicare. So let's say that everything was done correctly, but the doctor is angry, right? Like how dare you try to make an, you know, make me look bad and say, I'm billing, committing billing fraud. I'm not some fraudulent biller. This was a completely okay arrangement. We vetted it through our legal counsel or whatever. So here, here's the rub, right? Now you've got a potential harassment claim. If you have someone that says, I brought up a good faith billing and coding concern, and now I'm being treated retaliatory and I'm being kicked out and fired because I made this complaint, right? So it's not just about sexual harassment that can cause retaliation, but it's about reporting any issue of workplace wrongdoing. And then you feel that you're treated harshly as a result. So it's training, training, training. You know, you got to go to the physician, the staff, 
this employees, like everybody bring their lunch. And we're going to sit down and talk about this, about how you can't treat people harshly because they bring a good faith allegation of misplaced, you know, billing fraud or sexual harassment or whatever the case may be. And it sometimes requires Heather, you know, putting on your big girl pants or your big boy pants and saying, you're going to have to get over it. Yes, this person made this complaint about you, but you're still employed. We obviously still support you and care about you as a provider or a staff, and you're going to have to get over it. You know, sometimes there are instances where you need to separate, you know, maybe a nurse from a physician and put someone in a different role with the same pay, you know, to get to create that separation. So you don't have a retaliation case, but it's something you've really got to talk through and also, you know, show both sides that you understand where they're coming from. Right. I think being seen and heard is really important to address a potential retaliation problem. Right. Like I hear you. I know what you're saying. And I'm thankful that you came forward. And to the physician or I hear you. I know what you're saying. I know how hard that can be to feel that your reputation is aligned. But we are supportive of you. We believe in you. Everything is going to be OK. Right. Telling that to both sides like we support all of you is really valuable in trying to prevent or at least lessen the likelihood of these cases coming up. Okay, so you need a clear anti-retaliation policy, uh, reporting guidelines to be sure that everything is documented in writing and, and have rules that very clearly outlined so everyone understands, is that correct? Absolutely. I mean, having this policy in your handbook or in a freestanding policy is really important to say, you know, this is the way the practice feels about this. And then also you want to put it in writing to encourage people to come forward. I mean, that's the basic tenet of compliance, right? We don't want to be operating in a vacuum. I had a client who had this whole situation happen right under their nose. There was a sexual harassment issue. A provider was having an affair with a nurse. Like the whole clinic knew about it, but guess who didn't know about it? The doctors. Because they had their heads, you know, buried in work. They come in, they do the 15 minutes, they treat patients all day. They didn't really know about the politics or the office dynamics or who's saying what and who's sending sexual harassment texts to whoever. You've got to be involved. You know, you need to have a policy to say, come forward and let us know that if, you know, because sometimes we get so wrapped up in treating patients, we're not aware and that you're not going to be penalized for that. That's really important to put that in writing. It's also another thing that, that doctors don't always think about is having insurance. You know, of course you think about professional malpractice insurance, right? Everyone says, oh yes, I've got a TMLT policy or whatever, and I'm covered for professional malpractice. But what about employee and officer liability? You know, what about E&O or um, there's a certain, there's many types of policies for different things. And you can get employment practices liability insurance, you know, EPLI that really, you know, provides coverage for legal fees and damages that might result from an employment lawsuit. So that's really important because otherwise, you know, you're sitting there going, right, I'm going to pay out of pocket when someone files a claim against us and we don't have any coverage for this. And it's really expensive and time consuming. So even having, you know, $50,000 of coverage is, is something really valuable. It's not that expensive to get these policies. Mm -hmm. So would you say that employment issues are common in medical practices? I would say employment issues are common anywhere that people are, <laughs> you know, so yes, I would say they're somewhat common. Um, you know, anytime that you have human beings working together, they could be disgruntled, 
right? They could, people quit without notice. They file unemployment claims against you. You know, you might have a fight with your partner on the provider level and you have to have a business divorce. These are all employment issues, you know, that just because you have, you know, healthcare as your main core business, it doesn't really matter if you're running a dry cleaners or a cafe or a healthcare business. Anytime you have humans working together, you're probably going to have an employment issue. And the bigger you get, the more likely it is that this is going to pop up because, you know, it's, it's really hard to know these things instinctively. A lot of things you sort of think, well, yeah, obviously that's common sense, but employment law issues, especially in the labor you know, context of what can you say, what can't you say, what can they talk about? That's not always so obvious. So I would definitely advise getting someone who's trained in this to help you, either a consultant to come in, you know, to give training or to have someone who's really good at investigations. If you have a big, you know, problem that pops up to help investigate that for you or hire a really good employment lawyer that can guide you through some of these things. I mean, I, I had a client once who was about to fire a doctor, you know, just boom, about to fire them for a cause. It was a whole brouhaha. And I said, whoa, stop you're welcoming a fight. I'm seeing them building up this case against you. So before we fire them, we need to get some documentation in order. We need to clean up our house a bit. We need to make sure that we can protect, you know, ourselves before you go off and fire this physician. And, and I'm glad we took those steps. That was really important to do before the termination. So you need to bring the experts in, right? I mean, you can treat patients and diagnose a sinus infection and make sure that you conduct that surgery but you're not supposed to be experts in employment law. And it's really tricky and timing matters and you have to take things step by step and you wanna make sure that the documentation is solid and all those things are not your natural instincts. And so oftentimes, you know, you need to get in the experts and really think it through before you take some drastic action that can really come back and hurt you. Amanda, it is always such a pleasure to visit with you, and I'm sure you could talk all day about this. How can listeners learn more? Well, send me an email, and you can find me on my website, hillhealthlaw.com, if you're in Texas. I really enjoy helping doctors, and I know that a lot of this is not instinctual for physicians, and I try to demystify those hard things. So if, if ever you want to reach out, if you have an employment problem, happy to help. I love, love, love talking to doctors. That's my favorite thing. It's my passion. So I'm just really glad you asked me to talk about this because as you can see, I can just talk all day about physician and employment issues. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. To our listeners, a link to email Amanda is included in the episode description. To claim CME for this episode, just click the link to the TMA Education Center and follow the instructions on this CME to go episodes page. And if you missed previous episodes, you can get the complete hot topic series in the TMA Education Center. We hope you found our discussions beneficial. Remember to like and follow the TMA Practice Well podcast so you get every episode. Until next time, stay well. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit texmed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today.